Welcome back to FrameLab. Hey, George. Hey, Gil. So there have been 23 indictments, five guilty pleas, and one prison sentence so far in the Trump-Russia scandal. And in the midst of this high drama, unprecedented drama for Americans in a, in a White House, Justice Anthony Kennedy, the swing vote on the U.S. Supreme Court, has committed one of the most despicable acts in history, in my opinion, by stepping down so that Trump can appoint his successor. To be clear, we have a president under investigation. There are dozens of indictments, even some guilty pleas from his inner circle. Trump is under investigation. His entire existence appears to possibly be a multi-layered criminal conspiracy. He's under investigation and likely facing subpoenas, indictments, you name it. And now he wants to appoint Brett Kavanaugh, an ultra-conservative judge best known for his somewhat unusual fervent belief that a president should be above the law. Kavanaugh believes a president should have the power to escape accountability for his crimes and that someone like Robert Mueller should have no power to enforce the law against someone like Trump. We're going to talk about all of that today, but first maybe we should start with some basics, George. Um, when it comes to the law, what are the major differences between the conservative and progressive approaches to enforcing and interpreting the law. Well, conservatives, as we have talked about a lot, have strict father morality. And that is that they project from a strict father family to morality in general and politics. And in a strict father family, the strict father is the law. The strict father knows right and wrong, and what he says is what's right. So the idea that uh, there's some law within the family, authority within the family, higher than the strict father doesn't exist. So once you project that onto politics, it says that uh, the ultimate authority, the president, is above the law. So it's, um, it's quite remarkable. This did not happen with Richard Nixon, who still was seen, um, you know, uh, uh, as having to uh, abide by the law, even though he thought that he was above the law, he said if the president does it, it's not it's not illegal, you know. But uh, that turned out not to be true. But Republicans have become more uh, observant of Chris, of strict father morality since Nixon, and it's showing up now in in Brett Kennedy, Brett Kavanaugh. So that's that's something we should uh, be thinking about that this is part of the view of what conservatism is, where it comes from, what its structure is. It is um, a more, more extreme view of strict father morality than we even had with Nixon. Now, when it comes to seeing Trump as the ultimate authority and above the law, is that because Republicans really view him that way as a strict father or could it also have to do with the fact that under Trump, they'll get all these other things they want that do adhere to 
strict father morality, like possibly overturning Roe versus Wade, like taking power away from unions, which they already just did um, in terms of hitting them at their funding base, um, like overruling environmental protections and dismantling them. So I guess my question is, is the sudden shift toward this strict father morality view in terms of the president being above the law, which they did not believe, by the way, back in the Bill Clinton impeachment, when they certainly thought that the president should be thrown out of office for uh, crimes that would seem a lot less severe than whatever's coming toward us with this Trump scandal. Um, Are they doing it because they really believe that, or are they doing it because it justifies them getting everything they want in terms of overturning Roe v. Wade and really... um, having a conservative court for the next few decades. I'm not sure there's a difference. (laughs) You know, um, look, uh, the reason, as we pointed out, that Republicans have the legislative goals that they have follow directly from strict father morality. Um, We went through this before. If you go down the list of the moral hierarchy under the strict father uh, morality um, regime, uh, what happens with is that that hierarchy determines uh, all Republican legislation. You know, just go down it. It's very simple. We, you know, uh, uh, you have things like God above man. That is, religion can dominate. Religion can control. Uh, you can have. Um, you're supposed to have prayer in the schools, and um, you know, no taxes on churches and things like that. Uh, you have uh, the rich above the poor. What that says is that you have um, laissez-faire capitalism, that corporations can do what they want and harm people and pollute and do all sorts of things, uh, you know, and that's okay. Um, drill, baby, drill. <laughs> you know, uh, there it is. Uh, and if you go down that list of um, the moral hierarchy under strict father morality, uh, you get all of Republican legislation. What that means is that as long as that uh, view of morality is the defining notion of what's right and wrong in this country, Republicans get everything they want. And that means they love Trump. They they may not love him uh, for certain um, personal peculiarities, but uh, they're going to love him because of what he, he gives them. He gives them what they want and what they've always wanted. Yeah, it seems like some Republicans um, are like, well, we're for Kavanaugh. You don't have to be pro-Trump to be pro-Kavanaugh. But they are just getting what they want. And what I think what they wish is that Trump would be a little more subtle about some of this stuff. Yeah. You know, Republicans, they're fine with a lot of terrible things like racism and sexism. But there's a certain degree of subtlety that has been um, eradicated by Trump. Trump prefers to do things in a loud brash, chaotic way that can be really uh, harmful if you're trying to get political aims achieved Mm -hmm. uh, in a clever way over a long period of time. You want to be a little low-key when you're doing that. Trump is anything but low-key. So let's think about another issue here that this, this reminds me of the fact that when it was Clinton, the Republicans believed that the president must be taken out. Now that it's Trump, clearly they tend to think he's above the law and shouldn't be under investigation or subpoenaed or indicted. Um, and there's a basic lack of fairness there. There's a, there's a, it's hypocritical. And people have pointed that out. Wow, when, when it was Clinton, it was different. And people, one of the 
fa favorite arguments of progressives these days is like, can you imagine if Obama had said that or done that? Uh, and that's intended to point out the hypocrisy. And now we see with this particular nomination, the hypocrisy of the fact that Merrick Garland was completely denied any process when he was nominated by President Obama. They bl effectively blocked the sitting president from uh, putting in his own Supreme Court justice, saying that there's an election, uh, you know, later in the year and we can't have a Supreme Court appointment, a Supreme Court appointment uh, at this time. Now, McConnell is completely disregarding this argument in order to try to install Kavanaugh as quickly as possible. And some people pointed out, this is hypocritical. We, you know, why are you doing it your way? One way when it's us and the other way when it's you. George, what's the role of hypocrisy in strict father conservatism? It doesn't exist. And it doesn't exist because of the asymmetry in strict father conservatism. You know, when the strict father defines what the rules are, what's right and what's wrong, not anybody outside, not any uh, external notion of what, what counts as fair, but his notion of what counts as fair. That means there's no authority above strict father morality itself. If anything must be defended, it's the very idea behind conservatism. It's strict father morality itself. It's not particular principles. Conservatives say, well, we have these principles, uh, you know, small government, uh, you know, uh, lower taxes, things like that. They, those things all follow from strict father morality. And it's that principle that must be maintained above all else. What that means is that uh, the authority Depend, defines what's fair. And when conservatives have that authority, then they define what's fair and what is and is not hypocritical. And for them, it's not hypocritical for strict father morality to win. Yeah, well, and Trump has never really been one to play fair, just to ask all the people he ripped off in business, right? Sure. Get your contractors to do the work and don't pay them. Mm -hmm. You know, go bankrupt and escape with your money. Other people take the hit. He has never, ever adhered to any idea of fairness. And so the idea that somehow he has to follow a rule that Republicans made up in order to beat Democrats <laughs> is, um, that's an interesting notion. I don't know. I feel like we've come so far with this psychodrama of Trump that, um, you know, I hope people realize that the hypocrisy argument isn't going to, isn't going to change Republicans' mind. I guess it feels good to just to point it out. That's hypocrisy. But Hypocrisy is not uh, – if you understand the game we're in, hypocrisy is just uh, a tool. Well, hypocrisy comes uh, from the Democrats' love of uh, enlighten, enlightenment reason, that this is a matter of logic. And the logic doesn't uh, – you know, is independent of who is involved in the logic. Mm -hmm. But that's not true under strict father morality. Who is involved is what determines the logic, what determines what's fair. Uh, Trump is always saying, look, there's an unfair tariff here. There are unfair trade laws. Uh, I'm not being treated fairly by this, that, and America is not being treated fairly, where he can define what counts as fair. You know, it's not fair to him. Well, under his rules of what's fair. And there, what's fair is whoever has the power should be able to determine how this thing work, work, how this works out. Let's go back to Kavanaugh here, and particularly his views 
on executive power. Kavanaugh essentially believes the president should have the full authority to do anything he wants and not face any accountability or legal repercussions. He believes the president's power cannot be questioned uh, in that he cannot be held accountable or indicted. And this seems pretty obvious to most people that that's kind of why Trump wants him installed primarily, because if Mueller subpoenas or indicts, and if Trump fights in it and it goes to the Supreme Court, and if you've got a majority of the court willing to say that you can't do that, then Trump is essentially off the hook for whatever he's done, right? So we create this conflict of interest where the president should not be in the position of appointing the person who could let him off the hook, you know, at this time. So that that's the, the central tension there. And let me read you some things that Kavanaugh has written that have been reported in the press that sort of connect back to what you were just saying about Trump believing he's the state. Uh, One of the things that Kavanaugh wrote in 2009 was, I believe that the president should be excused from some of the burdens of ordinary citizenship while serving in office. He also wrote at a later time that even the lesser burdens of a criminal investigation, including preparing for questioning by criminal investigators, are time-consuming and distracting. Like civil suits, criminal investigations take most of the president's focus away from his or her responsibilities to the people. And a president who is concerned about an ongoing criminal investigation is almost inevitably going to do a worse job as president. So he's made it pretty clear where he stands on this issue. But I I do take issue with a couple of things in this a, the idea that Trump could possibly be a worse president. I mean, he's, it's pretty clear that this guy is the worst president in history, and it'll probably be that way for a very long time. Uh, also, too, the idea that somehow Trump's doing important things all day that he'll be distracted from. As far as we can tell, he's watching Fox and Friends and tweeting. Um, but on a more serious note, what do these quotes tell you about Kavanaugh's belief in Trump's power? And why is this an ultimate expression of conservative viewpoints? Well, again, under strict father morality, that would follow. That is, uh, if um, strict father morality is to run the state, then, and the president then becomes the strict father. And he is, he sets the rules, period. He is the law. There is no external law in a strict father family that can say, hey, um, you know, uh, you're wrong. You know, he is the law. He, what he says is what's right, is what's supposed to be done. And uh, it follows absolutely directly. And this is the basis of conservative thought. And it's the basis of Republican legislation. Uh, it's all right there. Now, the antidote to conservative thought you've written in your books is a thing called empathy. Mm-hmm. And empathy is something that, whether in policy or in their legal views, conservatives often define as a negative or as the enemy right. of what is right. Um, talk to us a bit about why Republicans despise empathy in general um, for people outside of their in-group, that is, and why they prefer a system that looks at things through a corporate lens rather than a human lens? Um, empathy uh, is, um, has to do with uh, projecting yourself, putting yourself in someone else's shoes. 
seeing yourself um, uh, as having someone else's humanity, which is a very important kind of thing. Um, it works uh, through the, the neural system. Uh, one of the mechanisms is the fact that uh, we have neural connections between um, the visual system and the motor system so that when you see someone moving or doing something, you know what it would be like for you to do it. You see someone raising their arm, you know what it would be like for you to raise your arm. And uh, that um, system is connected, the um, motor system is connected to the moral system. That is, what's right and wrong is an embodied issue. That is, you're not, uh, if you look at your emotions, think about your emotional system. What, how do emotions work? Emotions work through the body. When you are angry, for example, uh, we know that your skin temperature rises half a degree, that your blood pressure goes up, that your heartbeat rate goes up, that you have some interference with accurate perception, uh, that you have some interference with fine motor control. And this even shows up in the metaphors for anger, which is, you know, why you're uh, blowing off steam and... Uh, running hot. Running hot and hot under the collar, collar all of those Seeing things. red. Seeing red, all of that. And also, um, uh, you know, exploding, having uh, pressure, uh, trying to hold back your anger. So there's the, the pressure part of it. Uh, you have your blind with rage. That's the interference with accurate perception. Uh, you're hopping mad, you know, the fine motor control gone, and so on. This is crucial. Uh, it's the embodied part of emotion that is there in your motor system. Your motor system is connected to what your body can do and what it is, and you're t tied to your emotions. So when you see someone else who is writhing in pain, you know they're writhing in pain. You see somebody else feeling happy and joyful, you can feel that they're joyful. You see somebody else just showing anger, seething with anger, you know they're seething with anger by looking at them. And this is uh, the basis of empathy. Now, there are other kinds of mechanisms in the brain that say what it means to have empathy in terms of content. That is to understand the situation, putting yourself in someone else's shoes, means you have to simulate their situation. So the part of the brain that simulates uh, someone else's uh, understanding is called here into question. Now, in strict father morality, uh, you're not trying to, to uh, simulate other people's understanding of right and wrong so that you can understand them and, and uh, adapt your behavior to them. You're supposed to impose your view of what's right and wrong. That is crucial. And there, empathy is ruled out. Uh, when Obama uh, appointed Judge Sotomayor, he said, uh, a Supreme Court justice must have empathy, must be able to put themselves in other people's shoes. And the conservatives screened bloody murder. They said, hey, look, no, that's prejudice. Empathy is just prejudice. You know, you don't want justices to have prejudice. You don't want them to be in, in other, somebody else's uh, shoes. You're supposed to tell them what's right and wrong. Well, you don't want them to be prejudiced 
in favor of human beings. You want them to be pre prejudiced in favor of religious control and corporate viewpoints. Well, the corporate viewpoints follow from a strict father morality. Yeah. That is, if you have them, then you take a corporate viewpoint. Then you take uh, the position of religious control. Yeah. And the maximization of self-interest through corporate behavior. Exactly. Right? Corporates exi corporations exist for profit, whereas people just exist for... You know, for being people, for serving corporations. <laughs> so... We see how the Republican view of law is about a lack of empathy for most people and mm -hmm. a complete uh, sympathy for the corporate viewpoint and for religious control. At the same time, here's something a little unusual. You know, does Trump have some kind of empathy going on here? His pardons, right? Trump has handed out some unusual pardons. We don't usually see Republicans handing out a lot of pardons. They like to be hard asses when it comes to the law. And kind of, if you look at the typical conservative viewpoint, even somebody who might be innocent should still serve their time if they were found guilty by the court. And we've seen people, you know, trying to fight against things like DNA evidence being exculpatory, getting people off the hook for crimes they didn't commit after spending decades in prison. Yet Trump handing out pardons. He's pardoned Jack Johnson, a boxer who's been dead for a very long time, who was convicted of violating the Mann Act uh, back in the day, a racist law. Uh, Scooter Libby, who was convicted of perjury and obstruction of justice during the Bush years. He was a high-ranking Bush official. Joe Arpaio, the racist sheriff of uh, down in Arizona, who was convicted of contempt of court, pardoned by Trump. Dinesh D'Souza, a right-wing figure highly funded by the right-wing apparatus and think tanks uh, to troll and harass progressives while sp spreading conservative frames, was convicted of campaign finance fraud, pardoned by Trump. Um, he just pardoned two of the guys who were involved in the whole Bundy takeover of public lands in Nevada that they were trying to graze on. Uh, he also did an unusual pardon in pardoning um, a woman uh, named Alice Lee Johnson, who had received a terribly long sentence for a relatively minor crime. And Trump pardoned her after a campaign by Kim Kardashian to get the pardon. So Trump seems to have a strange sympathy for people who are convicted of crimes a lot like the ones he might be facing. And he's exercising his power to pardon them. What, what is Trump saying to us? Well, first, he's saying that uh, the strict father views that come out in Republican legislation and Republican ideas, uh, you know, even if they go against the law, shouldn't, you know, that should be pardoned. That, that strict father views should be the law. And he's going to make them the law in certain cases. So let's take the case of um, uh, the Bundy case, where you have people who wanted to uh, just graze on federal lands, take you know large herds, and uh, use federal lands for private profit. Well, Trump is in favor of this. You know, he says, "Hey, we can have, we can do mining on federal lands. We can do." Uh, uh, get uh, oil on federal lands. You can do all sorts of stuff with federal property. You know, this is something that uh, Trump has favored because uh, it has to do with uh, the rich over the poor. 
that is, uh, you know, if you can make money off of this corporately, go do it. Uh, and uh, this is, um, a, you know, a very important part of uh, of what he's he's been about. Uh, if you take um, the other cases, uh, uh, for example, uh, Jim Johnson. Jack Johnson. Jack Johnson, sorry, Jack Johnson. Uh, Jack Johnson uh, was convicted of the Mann Act, uh, and it had to do with racism, of course, but it also had to do with uh, sexuality. It had to do with sexual behavior uh, that uh, was prohibited by the government, uh, that was seen as immoral and therefore made illegal. Now, uh, that is something that, uh, you know, is... Uh, Trump is dealing with uh, in Stormy Daniels and all sorts of other places. Just because a guy cheats on his wife with a porn star, George, doesn't mean that he can't be president. Well, that may be true, but it's different than, uh, you know, it's, he sees it as pardonable if it's a matter of law. You know, it doesn't mean that if he cheats on his wife, uh, on his wife he should go to jail. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, uh, you know, and there he is. He is pardoning um, uh, a crime based on sexuality, um, you know, and sexual behavior that uh, he wouldn't find immoral at all. And uh, this is, uh, so he's giving a pardon for that. And so it almost seems symbolic, right? Because Jack Johnson's been dead for a long time. And while it's, I think it's great that he's been pardoned, just his memory for being uh, kind of subjected to this racist law, there are millions of other people who are still alive today who could be pardoned for crimes that were they were convicted of because of racism. But he was a boxing champion. He was tough. Mm-hmm. And toughness was is prized by this president. You know, winning is prized. Yeah, but in a more direct way, what's the symbolic resonance of Trump issuing all these pardons? It seems like a strange thing to do that wouldn't really interest him. There also, we know that Trump only does things that are in his self-interest. He's only thinking about mm-hmm. himself when he does anything. So what is he thinking about himself when he's making a show of these pardons? Pardons are messages. They're actions that give messages. Uh, for example, um, he's saying, look, uh, if um, you have something on me, uh, don't turn state's evidence. You know, um, if you're going to be convicted be convicted and I'll pardon you because I got all these pardons to give out and I'm giving them out. That's the message to all those folks who were in his campaign and in his administration. He also uses it as a public message to communicate the idea that look at all this overzealous prosecution and all these unfair laws and look at how terrible the government is. These people are innocent and I'm on your side, right? I'm uh, going to pardon people. Uh, and to show that I'm merciful while the state is corrupt and, and you know, this is like the whole he's he's using it to show that, that to, to portray the system is corrupt and also to communicate to his fellow co-conspirators that there is a, an option uh, and a pathway if you get my back. Right, exactly. It's about the Mueller investigation. 